Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. Well, we're honored today to have Pastor Steve come back for round two. Y'all welcome, welcome Pastor Steve this morning. Y'all give him a hand this morning, please. So he comes up and shares this morning, Ruth, part two. Good morning, brother. Thank you. Well, I had a nice surprise this morning. My family showed up. Um, my son, Joel, and Michelle. You have, you have any idea whose boy that might be? Yeah. And my grandson, Wyatt, is there as well. He's an Alaska boy that uh, is down here learning to fly. Well, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, and today uh, I want to especially admonish you to find yourself in the story. And in Alaska, I used to get up once in a while and I'd say, well, I can either preach at you today or I can tell you a story. Which do you want? (laughs) And I always opted for the story. It made me feel kind of bad about my preaching, but um, that's all right. But... God didn't just drop the book of Leviticus out of heaven and say, now behave yourself. These are the rules. The the scripture is very relational and it's full of stories. And we, we might ask, why do we bother with the Old Testament when we have the New Testament? Why worry about the Old Covenant when we're living under the New Covenant? Why worry about the law and Moses and all of those people when we have Jesus? Well, the fact is that Scripture has the story of Jesus woven completely through it. But it also is a great guide for life. Someone said the Bible is basic instruction before leaving earth. Um, And there's every possible life scenario portrayed in Scripture. It's not a book of uh, virtuous maidens and princesses and... Wonderful princes who come riding in on a white horse and rescue and all of these. It's the story of messed up people who, in the middle of their messes, turn to God. And it's the story of messed up people and a faithful God who brings them out of whatever they're going through. And in Scripture, we can find every possible life situation and no holds barred, nothing covered up. Sometimes people are really stupid. And they... You know, we see the theme in Abraham's life of lying about his wife, and then his son lies about his wife, and the son's son lies about his wife, and you you think, what's wrong with these people? And then you look at yourself and say, oh, yeah. (laughs) Now Now I remember. Now to Ruth. You're in this story. This is not just a story about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and the uh, people down at the... uh, corner. It's about us. And you'll find yourself in the story. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You can't read this great story without realizing that Naomi and Ruth didn't just return to a locale called Ephrath, the house of bread, to a community Uh, in the little town of Bethlehem, they returned to a family. And good things happen in family. I totally agree with what uh, Jody just said. We we are family. And uh, there's lots of 
Ruth's and Naomi's and Boaz in this place. And you're going to find a warm welcome and a warm hug because that's what this place is about. And you're going to find a worship team that emphasizes the faithfulness of God over and over and over. And isn't that a blessing? What an awesome... I don't know if you realize how blessed you are with your worship team and their message. But good things happen in community. Chapter 2 of Ruth. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let's go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain uh, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. The Old Testament law provided for immigrants and for the poor that they could glean in the fields and that uh, the, the landowners were to allow that, let people take care of themselves. So Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. But just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. So this man's a believer. Boaz asked the overseers of the harvesters, what is that... Who does that young woman belong to? And the Hebrew for this is hubba hubba. Uh, <laughs> she, he's noticing right now, saying, who is that? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. He sees a, a beautiful woman. They see a Moabite. And we talked about that last week. The Israelites were forbidden to have anything to do with Moab and with the god of Moab, Chemosh. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whatever you, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down her face to the ground and asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your mother and father and your home and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some, some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. He says, uh, let her get the, the stuff you've already gathered. Don't make her just pick up the leftovers. Even pull out some stocks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. This is the equivalent of junior high, where you have a friend go and say, I like you, do you like me? A little square, yes, no. That's what's going on here between these two already. 
So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over from what she had eaten. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative, and he's one of our guardian redeemers. And so we have a new concept introduced, and it'll be key to this section, the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. In Israel, uh, you couldn't sell land. You could only put it on a long-term lease. And crops were rotated every seven years, and then at the, after seven times seven, there was the 50th year. And the 50th year was called the year of Jubilee. And Jubilee actually means ram's horn. And it goes back to Abraham offering Isaac and a substitute sacrifice being there in the thicket, caught by what? His horn. And so it was a reminder of the deliverance of God. And every 50 years, everything was reset. So if you had lost your land, which as Naomi and uh, as Naomi had and her family, they had to sell the land when they went to Moab, and uh, they couldn't go back to it until the year of Jubilee. And if you were going to buy land, you, could only, you really were just leasing it for the number of years left until Jubilee. Uh, and so uh, if you lost your land because of a bad investment or poor crops or got cheated or swindled, eventually... Someone, uh, a near relative, could redeem it and could go to the person who had gotten it and say, I want to redeem that land. And they became, it had to be a near relative, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, They became the kinsman redeemer, and it particularly related to the year of Jubilee. Then Ruth the Moabite, verse 21, said, He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman who worked for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Uh, Naomi's starting to come to life here. Chapter 1, she's in despair, saying, call me bitter. I've given up on life. And she knew exactly who was the problem. The Lord has has, uh, smitten me. She's mad at God. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until until the barley and wheat harvests were harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth now becomes the the uh, focus of this book. We've already met Naomi. Naomi's a bitter believer. Naomi returned home, loathing her loss and blaming God for it. But now Ruth, rather than focus on her loss, Ruth chose to love what was left. Ruth was self-reliant and hardworking. She doesn't say, well, who's going to take care of us now? Who are your relatives around here that we can rely on for bread? She says, I can work. Let me, let me go out in the fields to work. And uh, let me go and glean the fields. How many of you know what that means? That means the field's been harvested. The best of the crop's been taken, and now you're going and getting the leftovers. And you're picking up the stuff that's bruised. We're picking up the things that fell out of the bundle of the other harvesters. 
You're just getting leftovers. And when I was a, a kid, we, when we were 12, we started going into the fields and we picked strawberries and green beans and cucumbers. And it was hard, hot, back-breaking work. And this was her idea. She says, I, I don't know what else I can do, but I can do that. So I will do what I can do. And she has uh, a great attitude. Let me go and glean the fields. Listen to the description of Ruth's approach to it, verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> uh, Whose young woman is that, Boaz says? She's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. As a foreigner and the new person in town, especially as a quote-unquote enemy alien, it would have been easy for Ruth to have a hard edge to her and an abrasive attitude. What are you looking at? Uh, making fun of the foreigner? But instead she displays humility. Chapter 2 introduces a new character, Boaz. Now, we know that he is a relative of Naomi. He's a landowner. He's well-respected and influential in the community and seems to be pretty well-to-do. He's a kind and loving man. And he could have easily been harsh and hard and bitter and cruel. He also was a foreigner to an extent. And sometimes... Uh, with immigrants, you get a situation where they get here and then they say nobody else can come. I've got blessing, but, but we've got to stop it now. Uh, and Boaz didn't have that attitude. He knew what it was like to be looked down upon or to be the stranger and to be alone. And there's a piece of information you need to know about Boaz that's not found in the book of Ruth. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 in the genealogy of Jesus. It says, Now Salmon was the father of Boaz. What's the rest of it? Whose mother was Rahab. Oh, wow. His mother was Rahab. Who was Rahab? The harlot of, of Jericho who hid the spies when they came to her house. And she was given a place in Israel, and she was given, uh, apparently, she, she was given a plot of land and a house in uh, Jericho, and she became uh, a ward of Israel because she had helped them, and God blessed her. She has a son named Boaz. Boaz is unmarried, and apparently up in years. You can probably assume that Ruth is in her late 20s or early 30s. He's probably somewhat older than that. Unmarried, why? Well, his mom was a prostitute. Uh, he, he had endured some things. Who do you relate to most? You may be Naomi. Naomi began a, a chain reaction. In spite of her disappointment and pessimism, she did the right thing and turned toward home. And we noted last week that when your life is a mess, what's the rest of that? Hello? When your life is a mess, give God something to bless. And that becomes a grace magnet. God is irresistibly drawn to faith. He's irresistibly drawn to obedience that costs something, to sacrifice. And so even though she was bitter and angry with God and disappointed in God, she turned toward home and God met her there. When she got to Bethlehem, God was there to meet her. And you may relate more to Naomi than anyone else. 
an older widow. She said, I can't remarry. I'm too old. I'm not going to have any more children. I can't have sons for you to marry. She basically came to Bethlehem saying, my life's over. I came home to be buried. But when she sees the interaction between Boaz and Ruth, she starts coming to life. When your children are grown and gone and you're older and you're established, you can either be selfish and withdraw from life, or you can be one who invests in the next generations. Be a Naomi. Be the good Naomi. Who invests in the next generation and who becomes a mentor to a young uh, Ruth. You may be a Ruth, a young woman who's just starting out or who's suffered the loss of widowhood or divorce. When I did this series in Alaska, I did some research in our membership, and we had 73 single moms at that point. And we began to say, let's, let's be Boaz to these single moms. And people, people, when they went to trade their car in, they didn't trade it in. They brought it to the church and said, here, give this to one of the moms. At Christmas, there was money for, for the moms, and it was distributed uh, so that their kids could have a good Christmas. And uh, uh, the church is a place of refuge. It's a place of assistance and help. It's a family. It's a community. And that's what uh, Naomi found when she went back to Bethlehem. Ruth continued the chain that Naomi began. She committed herself to her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law's people and her mother-in-law's God in that beautiful statement, wherever you go, I go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Now, some of you are Boaz. Boaz could have been bitter. He decided to be better. He could have justified being a hard, stingy taskmaster, extracting every last dollar out of his workers and out of his land. He chose to be generous. He could have seen his wealth as justification for being authoritarian and condescending, but he chose to be generous. The law required him to give leftovers. He said, give her more than that. Don't make her uh, scratch. Throw some out for her so that she's well taken care of. And some of you have the ability to create work and opportunity for others. And God has blessed your hand and allowed you to accumulate resources. You're a Boaz. And you can either see that as the result of your ingenuity or you can see the hand of God in it. Some of you have the gift of giving. You're generous. Do you know what goes before the gift of giving? What gift comes first? The gift of getting. (laughs) There's people who can see opportunity. You can see ways. just naturally know how to make money. And they're always finding some deal that everybody else overlooked. And God uses them to bless the poor. He uses them to bless the church and the community. So Boaz was one of those people. Because of this book uh, and my study of it, God has given me several opportunities to sit down with people and read the story to them and say, I'm Boaz. I wonder if you'll let me invest in you. I'm Boaz. I wonder if you'll let me help you. Because you need help. And sometimes... People are not open to that, but many times they are. And we need to, when, when we're the Boaz, we need to say, you need to let me be Boaz in your life. There are Ruths in our midst. And if you're one of them, you need to adopt this young woman as your model. But you also need to allow those who are Naomi's to mentor you, and you need to listen to them. You need to allow those who are Boaz to invest in you. Here's the bottom line of this chapter. We need each other. 
We need each other. We were created by God to live in community. We were created by God to share resources and encouragement and hope with each other. Now, in chapter 3, things get real interesting. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with, with the, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. So she's been doing some thinking. All of a sudden, she got out of her despair, and she's going, Hey, wait a minute. She's Yenta, the matchmaker. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Catch me a catch. And, uh, and that's, that's Naomi. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. She's been doing a little exploration, uh, detective work. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Now, Greg, you going to tell your daughter to do that? Just go get in his bed. I don't know who started this tradition, but it wasn't a dad. You know, the dad says, I'm locked and loaded. You know, this Boaz guy, yeah, he's around, but you stay away from him. Let me deal with him. But they had a tradition that you'd come under the covering of a man and let him know that you were interested and the way that he responded. Now, how do you suppose most of them responded? Uh, it's PG, we can't go there in this audience. But Boaz responded by saying, wait until, be sure you leave before it gets light so no one sees you, uh, and leave this to me. I'll take care of it. Naomi has come back to life. And she's transitioning from belief in El Shaddai, the Almighty, the immovable one, to the Redeemer. She probably knew before Ruth did that Ruth had fallen for Boaz and that Boaz had fallen for Ruth. And at its heart, the book of Ruth is a love story, the story of two people who find each other in a surprising way. Boaz is obviously attracted to Ruth, but he plays it cool. Uh, In his book, Shattered Dreams, Larry Crabb portrays well what must have taken place. Like an honorable lover refusing to enjoy the pleasures of sex until the covenant of marriage was sealed, Boaz withheld himself from Ruth. He actually moved away from her, giving her the noble gift of his absence until he could be with her without dishonor. This is a great primer for young people in in courtship. Uh, Give her the gift of your absence until you can be together without dishonor. Boaz knew the law of the kinsman redeemer. To marry a relative's widow and restore her to blessing, the candidate must satisfy several criteria. Ruth, at best vaguely familiar with Jewish law, was aware only that Boaz was withholding himself from her. She must have worried that he didn't really want her. She had discovered her desire for Boaz, but was not yet confident of his desire for her. He goes on, I picture Naomi sitting on the floor of their little house, warming herself by the fire on a chilly morning. Ruth returns from her night with Boaz, still wearing her prettiest dress, but no longer feeling beautiful. Naomi, what shall I do? 
I love Boaz, and I think he loves me, but he said he can't marry me until some legal problem's cleared up. Oh, Naomi, I don't know anything about all these technicalities. All I know is that I want him, not anyone else. I want him. Doesn't he want me? With the wisdom of a spiritual mentor, Naomi longs for Ruth to abandon herself to the heart of the one who loves her with confidence. In spite of his restraint, that his desire will find a way to bring them together. Ruth, Naomi says, Boaz wants you more than you want him. He is withholding himself from you for a time at great personal cost. It's harder for him to keep his distance from you than it is for you to wait for him. Know this, and here's the direct quote from Scripture. Know this, that this man will move heaven and earth to find a lawful way to marry you, and that's what you want, a legal marriage that rests on an unshakable foundation. You want nothing less. Wait, my daughter, this man will not rest until the matter is settled. The roots of this whole concept of kinsman-redeemer Go clear back to Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25. And they were told when the law of Jubilee was brought in, they provided for the kinsman redeemer. And so clear back in the midst of history, you have the story of Israel and of the land. And God said, the land belongs to me. We're going to partner together. You're going to work the land and reap the harvest and gain the blessing but I'm the owner. And just like I provided for you when you were coming out of Egypt, you need to provide for foreigners who come to your land. And God had a heart for immigrants and a heart for people like Ruth. Uh, And he said, when people disobey and they lose their land or when misfortune falls on them and they lose their land, I want to build into the system a way for that land to be redeemed and for basically for bankruptcy to give a way to give a person a new start. And that was called the kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer took on someone else's problems as his own to solve. And part of the purpose was to keep God's property from falling into the wrong hands. During Jubilee, even people were redeemed. Sometimes people would get into debt and they they didn't have debtor's prisons. You had to become a slave. And you would have to work for someone to work off your debt, and, and at least up until the year of Jubilee. And so the whole concept of Jubilee was, was a reminder that God is a God who restores. The requirements of a kinsman redeemer. First, he must be a close relative. The idea was to keep the name of the family with the land. And to connect the, the heritage of that family with uh, their land. One of the great aspects of our country is uh, personal property and land, the ability to own property and own land. It's not true everywhere in the world. There are many places where, I know in Russia and Ukraine and our visits there, uh, you're, you're loaned land by the government. The government actually owns everything. And people are just allowed to have a dacha or to have uh, a farm. So they must be a kinsman. They must be uh, a close relative. He must be free himself. He must have the means to pay the price. And he must be willing to pay the price. 
And so Boaz became Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. Apparently they had sold the land when they went to Moab. Now they come back, they've lost their land. Now what's going on? Where is this kinsman redeemer idea actually going? You see, clear back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the concept of a redeemer was introduced in Scripture. Who's the ultimate kinsman redeemer? Jesus. And so there's a fourth character in our play. As the curtain raised on this scene, we have Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, but in the background of it all is Jesus. Because the whole concept is to tell his message, to embed his message and the hope of a Messiah in the fabric of the life of Israel. And so we don't have a book that was given to us with just some teachings, like a guru or a human teacher. We have a story that's woven through history over thousands of years. It's impossible for one person to, to create this. It's possible... Impossible for any one person to refute it. Because the the concept of kinsman redeemer, which Jesus became, was in scripture thousands of years before he ever came to earth, before he was ever born. Jesus is the fourth character in our in our cast. He is our kinsman redeemer, and that hope in the earliest book ever written of Scripture, which is the book of Job. Job says in all of his distress, Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. How did he know that? Spirit of God giving testimony. And this custom was established early in Israel's history to prepare the world to receive the love of God in Jesus Christ. And no matter how disappointed we may be with what God allows in our lives, we can say, With Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. He was down and out and under all kinds of duress. But he said, I know God's going to fix this someday. And he did. The end of the story. Here's Jesus. First, he put on flesh to become our near relative, our kinsman. He is the only one free of sin and able to redeem us. He's the only one with the means to forgive sin because he was sinless himself. He became, actually became the ransom price and he was willing to pay the price. We have, you have, you have a kinsman redeemer who literally moved heaven and earth to redeem you. He negotiated with and backed down the only other one with a claim on your soul and paid the price to claim you as his own. What did Ruth do to deserve all this? She simply came under his covering. Continue in verse 5. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz was finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovering his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you're a guardian, a guardian redeemer of our family. 
The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All the people of this town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. Uh Aha, he's been checking. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants you to do... If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. Then she did so, and he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And so Boaz goes to the elders of the town and where all legal matters were resolved, sat down, took 10 of the elders and said, the, uh, said to, the, to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here. And so he's, he has the kinsman redeemer, the nearest relative there, and says, the land is available. You have the right to redeem it. What do you want to do? The guy says, well, I'll redeem it. And so Boaz says, okay, that's fine, but it comes with two women. And the guy said, I can't do that. (laughs) Because in order to keep the name, the family name with the land, you had to bear children for the the, uh, dead relative. And so he's going, no, I don't need that kind of trouble. This is an older guy. And he's saying, I'm not going home telling my wife that there's two new women moving into the house. And that's, that's just not happening. And so he said, well, then, uh, I'll redeem her. And they negotiate a price, and he drops his sandal. That was the sign of agreement in the, that culture. You ever, ever heard the term waiting for the other shoe to drop? That's where it comes from. Uh, and to make the agreement, you make yourself completely vulnerable. If this guy attacks me, I'm not going to be able to chase him down because I've got a flat tire. Uh, only got one, one shoe. And so they made the agreement, the shoe dropped, uh, and Boaz becomes second in line, the kinsman redeemer. So he says, I'll, I'll redeem it. And then he says, the day you buy the land from Naomi, you have to... Uh, Maintain the name of the dead with the property. So what did Ruth do to deserve all this? She's going to become the wife of an influential and wealthy man. She's going to go from poverty and despair to being somebody in the community. What'd she do to deserve all that? She offered a little grace magnet went out and worked hard and just trusted God. 
And God responded. And her actions are a picture of a believer. We're not a religion. Religion says we do it the old-fashioned way. You have to earn it. And here's the rules. Here's the laws. In Christianity, the, the Bible tells us there's a God who loves you, and he sent his son to redeem you. When you had messed up and when you had lost your heritage and when you had squandered your inheritance, he came and redeemed you. He offered himself to you. To you. You had nothing to to bring. Ruth doesn't have a dowry. She doesn't have anything to offer except herself. And that was all that her kinsman desired. John 1, verses 12 and 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What do you have to do to earn God's favor? You have to receive his gift. You have to lift the corner of the covering and slide under it and say, I accept. The Bible says that when you're baptized into Christ, in the water baptism, you're baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. You see, in coming under the covering of Boaz, she was becoming his property. She was offering herself to him, a very bold and risky move. But Boaz responds. I hope you've done the same in your relationship with God. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. Chapter 3, 26 and 27, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You see, there's there's a real picture here. There's a picture of a redeemer with a bride who becomes his own, a beautiful bride. Who is that? You see, we're in the story. We are the beautiful bride of Christ, his church, his chosen ones. Long before the gospel message became overt in scripture, God planted the concept in culture. Long before you were aware of your need for him, God was planning and investing in your life to draw you to himself. And if you offer yourself to him, He will not rest until the matter is resolved and you are redeemed. When you relish the romance between Ruth and Boaz, I want you to say this to yourself. In fact, here's your homework assignment for the week. Go back and read chapter 2 and 3 again. And then say to yourself, I am loved like that. Because you are. As Outrageous as it seems, as unlikely as it seems, you are loved like that. And God is waiting for you simply to come under his covering and receive what he did for you in Christ. That's the gospel message. That's the message woven through the romance of Ruth and Boaz. You are loved like that. Jody.
Wasn't that great? I love Pastor Steve. Now, I told you last week, now I'm going to see if you listen to me. Now, I'm your pastor. I don't get a day off just because somebody else is preaching. I do get to relax my brain. It is quite nice. i got to be honest. It's nice. And maybe that's why. Look, another one, two, three, three and a half pages of notes. Why? Because it's important. God wants to speak something to you. Bring a notebook. Bring something you write down on. I know you got a smartphone you want to type it on. That's fine. But as soon as your friend texts you or somebody being something or they Instagram some picture of some cat wearing a sweater or whatever, you're distracted. Now you forgot, who. what are we doing here? Try to do whatever you can so you can hear from the Holy Spirit while you're here. What a blessing to have Pastor Steve share God's Word with us again today. Right? Could you give him another hand, please? Amen. So next Sunday, he'll be uh, concluding the series next Sunday on Ruth. I want to encourage you to come, bring a friend, invite somebody to come with you. And, uh, and just as he concludes the, the series here, it's going to be, it's going to be a really good, uh, series. So I want to share a couple of things with you. Um, uh, but first, before I do that, I want to pray for you. You know, he, he made very clear to you the offer of Christ and that, you know, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, this idea that it is not religion. You're transferring ownership. You're either one of one of two kingdoms. There is no in between. You're either of the kingdom of darkness or you are of the kingdom of light. You are under the authority of one of the two. That there is no in between. You're not your own person. You're just not. You are bought with a price. The precious holy blood of Jesus. I just want to pray for you if you're watching online as well and you've never made that commitment to Christ. I want you to pray with us. We're going to pray in here. If you're in here, you don't know Jesus, I ask you to bow your head just for a moment. I want to lead you in a prayer. And and just take a moment here just to solidify your faith with Christ. If you're watching online as well, just take a moment with your family in the room where you're at. Or if you're in the car, pull over. Take a moment to stop and uh, and just, or just drive down the road with your eyes open. Whatever, just pray. And, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We're all going to pray this together right now. The Bible says this, if a man believes in his heart, the confession is made into salvation. So right now, if you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of confession. So just pray this. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today, and I give you my heart, and I give you my life, and I surrender to you everything. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be my Savior, and to be my Lord. I thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you. Would you give me a hand right now, church? And those of you watching online, so proud of you for praying that prayer. You know, I know if you're in here, you may think, well, um, uh, why do we keep focusing on the, the things online and those kind of things? Because we... The data is showing about 50% of the people who call this church their home or their environment or their, their connection point, whether they're in-state, out-of-state, whatever, they are very much connected to our church. And what we found is uh, people get sick. And people don't want to, they don't know what to do, whatever, so then they're at home. And then they, it's a rotation constantly. So if you're watching online, I want you to know, I want you to be encouraged. We're praying for you. Praying for God to strengthen your life in every way. And if you prayed that prayer, you're in here, you prayed that prayer. 
there's a website that we have that you can go to, connect.cornerstonerome.com. And you can just simply fill out the information for us. And why do we do this? One of two reasons. Number one, you fill that out for us. We'll send you some information to help you get started walking with Christ. So connect.cornerstonerome.com. If you're watching online, it should pop up on your screen right there. Um, but second of all, if you need prayer requests or something's going on that you need assistance or help with, or you're just trying to look for some answers and you don't know what to do, you can fill that out as well. Just let us know. We'll, we'll do our very best to help you. If we can't help you, we'll point you in the right direction of those who can. And so a couple of things I want to share with you. So three things, and then I'll let you go. Okay. Three very simple announcements, but very important. If you're coming to our church and, um, we come for some time now, we do catch the vision every month, first Sunday of the month. And so what that is, a very small, brief overview of what we're doing as a church, where we're going, the transitions we're making, the steps we've shifted to since the last weird years, <laughs> and what we're doing. So if you want to be a part of that, we'd love for you to come hear that. It takes less than an hour. We go through a couple things, feed you some snacks, share with you the heart and the vision of our church and where we're going. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. The first Sunday of every month, you go to, and all these are simple. This one is ctv. Everything is .cornerstonerome.com, okay? So all this will make sense ctv.cornerstonerome.com. You register, let us know you're coming. Second thing, if you have a teenager, all right? So if you have a student or a teenager, if you're a grandparent and teenagers live with you, and what what is a teenager now? I, I don't even know what grades count anymore in school because they've changed so much. You know they're a teenager. If they ever give you that look, you have a teenager, okay? Now, if they're seven, eight years old, they're not a teenager, but, you know, somewhere in that sixth grade age range, I don't know if it's fifth, some schools or whatever, you know your kid's a teenager, right? So Collide is coming up this weekend. We have students all over the city that will actually do this called Collide, and they will stay in host homes all across the city. We'll merge together at, at West Rome. We go over there, and we get together and, and meet over there for worship, for teaching. They crash our homes. They eat our food. They, they have a great time, but, look, it's important. And so we have it already set up and ready to go. All you have to do is register your kid. We'll say, I didn't know anything about it. That's because your teenagers heard about it for a month. That's why you have not heard about it, because we've told them for over a month in youth group. You may say, well, how do I do this? You simply go to uh, events.cornerstonerome.com. Events.cornerstonerome.com. Say events with me. Events.cornerstonerome.com. And if you're watching online, your kid's like, well, I didn't know anything about Collide. Here's your, here's your info, right? And uh, just go in there, register them, and, and be a part. We'll assign them a host home. Um, we've got, because we have all girls in our house, with all the... the I think Stephen said the high school girls are crashing our place. And uh, he said, do you want us to bring food? And I said, no, nah, man, we got the food. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, I don't know how much they eat, but they can't eat as much as boys. But then I thought, well, maybe they can. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he said it could be a lot. And I was like, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll be all right. It'll be fun. So make sure you register your student. I promise you it'll be a good thing. It'll be a really good thing for them. It's important right now. Great environment for them. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. Just something you guys got to be a part of, similar to what Pastor Steve just t- shared on it by being generous. Um, as a church, you will know that we support ministries across the globe and the things that we do. That's why I try to encourage you to go out there and look on the outreach wall of what we're doing out there. Um, if you look out there on the outreach wall, you'll see the ministries that we support. Some of them are on a monthly basis. Some of them we, we do stuff once a year. We just bank up some money and they just gift you know some things to help out with things. Well, this year, th- so this last couple of months, um, there's two ministries we gave a little extra to. So one is in Pennsylvania. So Josh and Jen Henson, if you guys know them or don't know them, we pray for them before they left. They started a new work in Pennsylvania. There was no FCA in any schools. We're blessed here. Your kids are blessed to have so much here. But there there was no FCA presence. There was no Christ-centered programming in the schools at all. 
they went up there, established FCA in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Have done such a great job with that. Have established FCA in almost I don't know if it's in every school, but almost every school in the county. They have put together so many coaches and leaders and different ones in that thing. And so you were able to give. We've made up some extra money, and so we sent them in a check uh, this this week. Went out at twenty four hundred dollars to them to help them with some of the things that's coming up with their camps and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then. It's, it's really exciting. We may be doing some things this summer. We'll let you know some more about that, about some outreach stuff we're doing up there, uh, just partnering back with them. But then also, uh, Love Cambells is our ministries to over in the Middle East with Tim and Carolyn Clark. Uh, we were able to give an extra gift to them as well. I think it was 500 we gave to them just to help just some things over there that's going on with, I can't tell exactly where they're at, but, you know, it's, it's very difficult over there. And so I just want to let you know, man, you guys gave... You know, well of almost three thousand dollars extra. Just we saved it up. We didn't ask you to give more. We didn't ask you to do extra. We didn't. We just saved it up and just said, "Look, this is here." As Steve said, when you have a mess, look for God. Give him something to bless, right? So we just look around and say, "This it, it's just crazy." It's still we, we. I don't know how to explain half of what's happened to you guys, but I just look around and say, "Well, God has given us extra. We have extra in the bank. Let's bless somebody else." Right, and so uh, you guys got to be a part of that. So I want to say thank you for giving. You simply go to give.cornerstonehome.com, and um, because of your consistency, we do stuff like this. We, you know, every now and then we ask for extra, but most time you guys just be consistent, and we're able to do what we do. So thank you so much for that, being part of that. You guys on, is online as well. So if you don't mind standing to your feet this morning, see that wasn't bad. A couple of minutes, you're done. You're out of here. You'll be getting that. You'll be getting that 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 whatever that cheese dip stuff. Y'all half y'all go to Las Palmas, and half y'all run out to the other thing. So, you know, your tacos are going to be good. They're going to be having them ready for you. So let me speak this blessing over you guys before you leave. And then, um, but before I do, here's what I want you to do um, before I speak this blessing over you, because we are a relational church. You come to a church to be relational, not to hide. I'm not going to let you hide. All right. All those church leader gurus are, they, they've realized they don't know what they were talking about. And we listen to them. And we should have never listen to half of them. Period. So here's what I want you to do. Before you go, don't just leave. Just turn to the couple people in your row before you go. And I just want you to take 30 seconds before I dismiss you. You cannot leave those double doors until I let you go. You must stay for this. Oh, my hands are sweating right now. What is he going to do? I just want you to turn to a couple of people right next to you and say, I'm praying for you. I hope this week goes great for you. Encourage them with something encouraging. Tell them, man, you look sharp. If you're single and they're single, hey, maybe there's your matchmaker moment. I don't know. The same, it happens in church, right? So, take, hey, take 30 seconds. Don't leave. Just look at somebody around you and say, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm praying for you. I hope you're doing If you don't see anybody talking to somebody right now, your job is to reach over and say hello. Right now. Right now. As nervous as you are, you cannot stand alone. You must talk to somebody. Step across the aisle. Interject yourself in conversation. If they're wearing Alabama, make fun of them. <laughs> if they're wearing Georgia, give them a high five and say, you are anointed in Jesus' name. All right, good deal. Well, let me bless you real quick, and y'all keep this up. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.